This is an ABC podcast. When it comes to inventing a new sport, J.K. Rowling did it brilliantly in the Harry Potter series, so successfully that her fictional sport has become a real sport. So in the Harry Potter version, there's seven players who are on the pitch, and that's basically the same in our version of Quidditch. The one seeker, three chasers, a keeper, and two beaters for each team. Obviously, we don't fly. It would be great, but um, yeah, so we just run around on the broomsticks instead. They do have to stay between our legs at all times. So I'd say it's very similar, with the big exception, of course, being the fact we don't fly around, as most people point out. Smuggle Quidditch. And more on the game they play in the air at Hogwarts and on the ground in the real world, coming up here on Sporty. To take as inspiration as the closing date nears to get your entries in for the Inventor Sport competition. Hey, it's Amanda Smith here. Now, while at this time there is one massive health crisis dominating all our lives, there are still plenty of people seriously ill with something else that's dominating their lives. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, you're most likely going to be facing, well, not only your fears, but a lengthy period of treatment, quite possibly including chemotherapy, which can itself make you feel pretty crook and that can take its toll on you, even while hopefully zapping those cancer cells. Associate Professor Andre Lagersh is the Head of Sports Cardiology at the Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute. And Andre, fill us in on the trial you're running with breast cancer patients. What's the thing you're wanting to address as a cardiologist? Exactly as you just said, chemotherapy takes quite a toll on health. What we're offering is research around a very important adjuvant therapy, which is that exercise helps protect the body from the chemotherapy damage. Particularly the heart? Particularly the heart. The heart is a muscle or made up of a whole lot of muscle cells and chemotherapy can very directly injure and damage the the heart muscle cells. So Acutely, around about 10% of patients, one in 10 patients, we can see a reduction in heart function, sometimes so significantly that we need to interrupt chemotherapy treatment. And then further down the track, years out from treatment, we can see patients, somewhere between 4 and 10% of patients develop heart failure that they wouldn't have otherwise. So you get over the cancer, but your heart fails you. Yeah, exactly. So what's the exercise program that you've put your trial participants on? One of the key components is that the structured exercise program starts whilst they're having chemotherapy, which to begin with was somewhat controversial. Because? Because the thinking was that chemotherapy makes our patients very tired. It's cruel to then you know, make them exercise as well. Whereas very early in the process, our study participants and patients were saying, I felt tired, but the exercise gives me energy. So sure, exercise tires you out whilst you're doing it, but it gives you more reserve and energy when you're not. And the oncologists saw that within their patients and have very much got on board with the process. Um, So they have three sessions of supervised exercise with an accredited exercise physiologist, three times a week for three months, 
two times a week for a further three months and then they transition to sort of remote supervised so they still have homework if you like to do but it's a way of transitioning back to normal life whilst hopefully instigating a sort of behavioural change that then can go on for for a lifetime. And is there a a control group with this? There is. So um, What are they doing? They're they're doing standard of care, which um, from a scientific point of view, we would kind of like it to be nothing because then the comparison with exercise is greater. But it's just not right to tell them to do nothing. So we tell them that exercise is recommended, but we don't supervise that. We don't provide them with a program. And probably fair to say our early experience, our pilot trial where we didn't randomise patients. We just had those people who wanted to exercise versus those who didn't. And we saw a very big difference between groups. Now that we're randomising and a lot of patients come in wanting to exercise and we tell them, thank you, but unfortunately you were randomised to the group where we don't provide structured training and they're doing exercise anyway, yet we're still seeing quite a clear difference between the groups. So what that tells us is that it's not just about whether you want to exercise, there's actually something in the supervision uh, and the requirement of having someone who really backs you and provides the information and the reinforcement that's also important. How have you been dealing with the uh, the supervision since coronavirus? My research team were very adaptable. One of the researchers in particular went out and, and got a number of exercise bikes, bought those to the patients' homes and has done Zoom and remote training. And one of the participants in the trial is Georgina Trukoski, a 44-year-old working mother of two who was diagnosed with stage 2-3 breast cancer last October. With the gym where she was doing her training no longer available, Georgina's worked out a setup at home. Well, I'm lucky enough that we have an exercise bike, as much as I really don't like the exercise bike. Um, but also I've got all my gym equipment over in the corner here. So Oh, yeah, you've it's got a, kettlebells and... Kettlebells and, and dumbbells and an exercise mat and everything else in between over there at the moment. But And that's been given to you by the Baker Institute? Yes, so some of that equipment definitely has been provided by the Baker Institute and some we just had lying around from many, many moons ago. <laughs> so before your breast cancer diagnosis and going on this trial, Georgina, were you much of an exerciser? Prior to children, yes. Once children came along and after school activities and school and things like that, no, I hadn't been to a gym or engaged in much exercise um, since the children were born. So I would say in the last 10 years, no. So are you able to say what difference this exercising then has made to you over these months that you've been having chemotherapy? With chemotherapy, you can put on weight. And for me, that raised alarm bells. So what what was your concern about putting on weight? I feel because I'm um, large as it is, and I think for me, knowing how hard it can be to lose weight. So if I wasn't going to exercise and then put on more weight, how is that going to impact the way my body copes with chemo? But then also surgery that I've got coming up as well. If I can get into better physical health now, then long term, that's only I'm 44. I'm I'm not going through this again. And if this exercise program is going to help in any way, then that's what I'm going to do. So over this time, do you feel like you've got fitter and stronger? Definitely. 
definitely my heart doesn't race as much as it used to. I'm able to get through a lot of the exercises a little bit easier now. And I think for me, that has to be a huge accomplishment for someone who hasn't exercised for a really long time. Just the fact that I know I'm, I feel fitter inside me then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, chemotherapy can make you feel pretty awful. Have you been able to exercise through those times? On most days? Yes. But the first round of chemo was a, a lot more taxing. There were some days where I just I couldn't do anything, but that only lasted a day or two, and I was able to continue on with the exercises and the programs. Maybe, maybe not to the best that I knew my body probably could do on the other weeks, but over the last three months of chemo, it wasn't as taxing on the body, so there was really no reason for me not to be able to continue on with my exercises. Well, as someone who hasn't really done anything much exercise-wise for 10 years, what's keeping you motivated? Oh, the biggest thing will have to be my kids. They're 10 and 7, and as I said before, I'm only 44, and I have... I've always said I'm living to 100, even prior to this. I've said that since I was a teenager. There's so much to see and do, and if this is one thing that I need to do to reach that goal, then that's what I'll do. And, you know, I've, I always used to laugh at a, a friend of mine who gets up at ridiculous times in the morning to go for a run. And I always said, only crazy people get up at that time to go to the gym at 5.30 or 6.30 in the morning. But that's that's me now to fight this. And have you learnt to enjoy that exercise or is it still a bit of a <laughs> bit of a struggle? Uh, oh, that's a hard question. Do you ever really fully enjoy exercise? I think you learn to appreciate it more than anything. There's days where I can get up at 6.30 in the morning and go, yep, today's a good day, I can do it. And there's other days where I might do it tonight instead. So it's... It's just changing your mindset about it. I think that's the biggest thing. Some people love the love doing exercise and they thrive with that. And others, they there has to be a bit more of a motivation to do it. And I think I'm one of those people still. I think that I'm doing this because there's a real reason. F- Sorry. But I'm not complaining as much as I used to when I fir- as compared to when I first started, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, now, as you mentioned, you're about to have surgery. Does being fitter and stronger, physically stronger, better prepare you for the surgery, do you think? I believe so. A lot of the cardio and the strength training is definitely preparing my body for what's coming up. Hopefully not needing as much recovery time. And if that's due to the exercise, then that's what I'm going to keep doing. So after all that, Georgina, after the surgery, when you finished treatment, do you think you'll keep exercising? Yes. Yes. This is my life now. To to stay fit, to keep myself healthy, and hopefully not have to go on this journey again. And um, I know things will be different. I mean, you know, something like this does change a person. But... 
there's no questions about it. And as I said before, there'll be some days where, you know, I'll be a bit more happier to do that and other days probably where I'll be like, oh, but um, this is what I need to do now so this doesn't come up again. Yeah, yeah. To test the effectiveness of the exercise program, the trial leader, Andre Lagersh, is measuring heart function through MRI and ultrasound and also testing oxygen uptake with the VO2 max test. People might have heard of VO2 max test when we test athletes, but it's really even more relevant in the general population because, for example, if people can't get to an exercise capacity or use 16 mils of oxygen per kilogram of weight, so that particular number is is the sort of number that you need to be able to walk up two flights of stairs without getting short of breath. And, and if you can't do that, it really limits a lot of things in life. So our pilot study in in 30 women showed that the people who didn't have an exercise program their vo2 max fell 17 percent which is the amount that we would normally see with 17 years of aging whereas in the people who did exercise there was no change so essentially we're making people 17 years younger if you like by doing exercise training the important thing with this randomized trial is that it's a more pure way of being absolutely sure that that's not just because of um, people who want to do exercise would do better. Well, if you do get uh, significant enough positive results from this trial, what then? Because of the randomization being a comparison between supervised and non-supervised training, what the conclusions from this trial, if it's positive, is that not only do we just recommend exercise, like give a pamphlet and say, look, exercise is important, This would really make it quite clear that you have to have a structured program incorporated, you know, with giving chemotherapy, saying as part of your chemotherapy, it's really important we hook you up with someone who can give you this important therapy. To make it part of the treatment. Exactly. Because it's not trivial. You know, the difference between um, 17 years of ageing and not is so not trivial. We don't have many medications many perhaps any medications that have that kind of effect so i think if our bigger trial in 100 women is as successful as our pilot trial then there would be a really strong argument for saying that this is such an important therapy that we need to fund it properly we need to have a system whereby people can access this exercise training you know for everybody who has chemotherapy or at least every breast cancer patient who has chemotherapy and would also provide stimulus to look at it in every other cancer group. And Associate Professor Andre Lagersh is the Head of Sports Cardiology at the Baker Institute, running this trial into whether exercise can reduce the negative effects of chemotherapy for cancer patients. And I was also speaking with one of the trial participants, Georgina Trukoski. You're listening to Sporty with Amanda Smith. And it's time to get creative now. You know how they say that no matter your body type or your personality type, there's a sport out there for everyone? What about if you've never found yours, though? The sport just right for you remains elusive. Well, you could invent your own, you know. And now is the perfect moment. One, because you've probably got a bit of time on your hands. And two, because you can enter it in the sporty Inventor Sport competition. 
So let me extend an invitation to you to make up a brand new sport, one that you'd like to play. Could be a team or individual sport, could be a first past the post type of thing, could be a most goal scored affair, or could be a judge sport where points are awarded for technical difficulty and quality of execution. Wherever your fancy takes you, describe your sport, give it a name, Tell me its rules, its particulars, its quirks, and send it in an email to sporty at abc.net.au. You haven't got too much longer to get your entry in. The Inventor Sport Competition closes midnight, 26th of April. Sporty at abc.net.au. And to stimulate your creativity, here's a made-up fictional sport that's crossed over into the real world. It's the sport they play at Hogwarts. Wood reached into the crate and took out the fourth and last ball. Compared with the quaffle and the bludgers, it was tiny. It was bright gold and had little fluttering silver wings. This, said Wood, is the golden snitch and it's the most important ball of the lot. But we won't practice with the snitch yet, said Wood carefully, shutting it back up inside the crate. Let's try you out with a few of these. He pulled a bag of ordinary golf balls out of his pocket and a few minutes later he and Harry were up in the air on their broomsticks. Wood threw the golf balls as hard as he could in every direction for Harry to catch. Harry did miss a single one and Wood was delighted. The Quidditch couple have our name on it this year. So in the Harry Potter version, there's seven players who are on the pitch, and that's basically the same in our version of Quidditch. The one seeker, three chasers, a keeper, and two beaters for each team. That's the same. The balls are fairly similar. They do the same jobs. The scoring method is the same. The only difference is most people who know Harry Potter, they know that when you catch the snitch, it's 150 points. But many people who are also critics of Harry Potter say that's too big a score. So the difference is in our game, catching the snitch is only worth 30 points. Yeah, so I'd say it's very similar with the big exception, of course, being the fact we don't fly around. Um, you know, we, we do have broomsticks. We do have broomsticks and they do have to stay between our legs at all times. Um, that is a fun part of the game. It makes because most people don't know Quidditch is a tackle, full tackle sport. So tackling with a broom between your legs is very different to how most people tackle. Um, makes it very tough. Since 2012, there's been a Quidditch World Cup every two years. The USA has won it three of the four times it's been held so far. But in an upset, Australia took the honours in 2016. This year's World Cup has just been postponed for a year. And back when team sport was possible to play, here some of Australia's best Quidditch players are competing in a state of origin match. It's New South Wales versus Victoria. Score again, yeah? That ball's on the floor. You are diving on that ball. You, that is your ball. Yeah? The ball, yeah? Every single time, that is your ball. On offense, it's the same thing. Get to that ball and get it out and get it in those goals. My name is Luke Derrick. I play for the University of Sydney Unspeakables and playing beta for the Australian team. So can you tell me how the game you play is different or the same as Quidditch in the Harry Potter books and films? So obviously we don't fly. 
Um, we just run Which is around. Such a shame, surely. Yeah, it's it would be great, but um, yeah. So we just run around on the broomsticks instead. Um, it's tackle, so you sort of see that in the movies where they sort of hit each other. But here it's a bit more like rugby tackle, one armed, so it's not two arms. Uh, the bludgers are also very different. They're not sentient beings that sort of float around and hit people. They're more like um, we use dodgeballs and throw them at people. And I guess the other big difference is the snitch who is a person dressed, um, who has yellow shorts with like a tag on the back and you have to rip that tag off to catch it. So the golden snitch is a human being? Yeah, so it's essentially a third party, like a referee, um, who tries to stay alive as long as possible and tries to avoid the seekers for as long as possible. Yeah, that's a brilliant solution to, um, you know, how to make a, a golden snitch work in, in the muggle world. Yeah, um, the person sort of works quite well because it's physical and it adds a certain form of whimsy to the game as well that we sort of keep from the movies. Okay, so what is the appeal of the sport for you? Um, I really enjoy the sort of tactical nature of it because it's one of the only sports with more than one ball constantly in play, constantly moving. Um, I play beater mostly. So the beaters are the ones who pick up the bludgers and throw them at people. It's That does sound like fun. Yeah, it's, it's basically a game of dodgeball happening while they're playing the basketball rugby variant. It's kind of like a number of different sports rolled into one. Yeah, it's like basketball, it's very like the positioning-wise and passing the ball around is very basketball-like, but then um, it's quite rugby-like in terms of tackling and running the ball through people. But then you've got a game of dodgeball happening in the middle of that and then a game of tag happening around that with the snitch as well. So it's, yeah, as I said, it's very tactically complicated. So it's lots and lots of different sports in one, which is another thing that I love about it. You've all had me as a ref before, I believe, or most of you. You know how I ref. I like to keep the game free-flowing, but I will still play if there is anything I need to call. Let's have a nice, clean game. Good luck, everyone. Please take your positions. I am the president of the Victorian Quidditch Association. I'm the coach of the Australian Drop Bears team for World Cup, and I'm also an occupational therapist in my real job. (laughs) And my name's Jen Gibson. The national team, the Drop Bears? Yep, that's correct. We are the Australian Drop Bears because I thought, you know what, it's Quidditch, we're Australia, that's what we should be. And who developed the rules or the way it's played to rest, really? Well, it came out of the USA, so a group of friends thought they're going to adapt Harry Potter Quidditch to Muggle Quidditch, and they wrote a very brief rule book. Interesting that it took off so much in the USA and not, not in England, where the books are set. Yeah, I think that's quite funny as well. But the USA just have been playing for so much longer and a lot of their colleges play, so they play intercollegiate Quidditch. So they've got a lot more of a foundation to pick players from than any other country. And how did you come to play it? Are you a Harry Potter fan? Yes, I love Harry Potter. We have a bit of a mix in the sport. So we have people that play because it's challenging and we have people that play because they love Harry Potter. They're not really sporting backgrounds. This is the first ball sport I've ever played. And it's really valuable because you've got positions like beta where you've got a dodgeball, you've got power over the game tactically, but not necessarily physically. So smaller players or players who aren't as confident can fall into that role or you can fall into chasing and score goals or you can be a seeker and catch a snitch. So there's kind of something for everyone, which is really cool. And we have rules around gender. So you can't have more than five players on the pitch of the same gender. So you have to have diversity on the pitch. It's in our rule book. And what's the local team you play with? I play with the Blackburn Basilisks. Now remind me what a basilisk is in HP world. So the basilisk is a monster in the Chamber of Secrets. It's a giant serpent that can kill you with one look. Are you ready? Can we talk about brooms? 
We have a mix of straw brooms like the ones you get from the $2 shops, the little short ones, and we also have PVC piping with um, rubber stoppers on the end, which is also regulation. And it's all within a certain length and it can have bristles or no bristles, but um, a lot of countries and a lot of other states just play on the PVC or wooden dowel because it's a bit easier to transport and doesn't take up much space and easier to replace. Doesn't the broom, given that you can't fly on it, or, you know, the PVC piping broom-like thing that you uh, are playing with, doesn't that just... Isn't that just a hindrance? Just doesn't doesn't that just get in the way? Yeah, it's more like an added challenge. So I think they kept it to tie it, keep the ties with Harry Potter, which we really like. But it means that you pretty much have to do everything with one hand, which means it's so much more challenging than any other ball sport because you can't run and hold a broom and catch a ball and throw a ball at the same time. It's actually a very complicated game, isn't it? Not least because you've got three different kinds of balls. Yeah, it's very complex. I think the newest rule book is over 150 pages long because basically each position has its own set of rules and you can only play within your own position's rules. So it's a little bit complicated and we have seven referees on the pitch normally just to keep in charge of everything. Tell me about the goals. Yeah, so there's three hoops on each side. There's like a shorter one and a middle one and a tall one, like in the movies. But um, it's the same points through each one, so it's 10 points for a goal. You can shoot it through from halfway or right close. You can dunk it through as long as the ball goes through the hoop before the hoop's knocked over. It's a goal. So, yeah, I'm Liam McCoppin. Um, I play with the Rexperts QC, Quidditch Club. Where does that name come from? So it's one of the creatures from Harry Potter. They're invisible, which was pretty hard when we were trying to make a design for our jersey. You know, most of the jerseys have manticores, which are fictional animals, but no, ours is invisible. It was tough work. So are you, were you a Harry Potter fan? Yes, fairly big Harry Potter fan, I'd say. I definitely read all the books, watched the movies, so yeah, but I just love sport. You know, in America, there's 170 plus teams. In Australia, at our last national tournament, there was 19, I think. If we had something like 40 or 50 teams competing annually at the national tournament, I'm sure, I'm sure we might be able to knock America off their brooms. So. I'm Kenji Fujihara. And you were uh, the human snitch in that match then. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a novelty having the, the yellow shorts on with the yellow thing dangling behind you. So, Are there particular qualities that you have that make you a good human snitch? <laughs> um, I say I'm pretty quick and agile, so you know, it's, I've got to try and avoid the people trying to grab you because I'm allowed to use my full body to sort of like throw them off, um, but they can only use their one hand and they're holding onto the, the broom with the other hand. Sort How of did a, you get into this? Um, my good friend Jen, who's a Victorian Quidditch Association president, um, she's also a gymnastics coach and I'm a gymnast, so she said come along and play Quidditch and I sort of was like, that's a bit of a joke. I imagine being a gymnast would help you in the snitch role. Yeah, definitely. I think um, a lot quicker changing direction. And do you remember what your impressions of Quidditch were when you were f- first reading the books or seeing the film? Um, definitely something that you would want to be able to do, flying through the sky, throwing quaffles and bludges and all that kind of stuff, but never thought we'd be able to play it on a football field you know, with people just running around on their feet, so it's very interesting. And that's a real-life human golden snitch, Kenji Fujihara.
Now, should you wish to have a go at the sport invented by J.K. Rowling for her Wizards and Witches, try it. Like, why not? It's it's a sport that gets lots of different people involved, people who haven't played sport before or people who have always played sport and want something new and challenging. Like, there are lots of different people and you'll always be able to find a place on a team somewhere. Life Imitates Art, the humanly possible version of the sport created by J.K. Rowling for her fictional flying wizards and witches, which I hope will encourage you to make up your own sport for the Inventor Sport Competition. Yes, to enter, email sporty at abc.net.au with a description of your sport. You've just got until midnight on the 26th of April. Sporty at abc.net.au Damien Rabbit is the producer of Sporty and I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.